We this is probably the seventh sermon in the series of twelve series that we're looking at, and marrying the right person. And they're handing out their handouts at this time. I invite you to turn to me as we study the Word of God together. We get the answers from the Word of God about relationships to our first text in First Kings chapter sixteen, verse thirty to thirty-three. First Kings chapter sixteen, and that's verse thirty, starting verse thirty. Today. Satan has been having a field day to the disastrous relationships that are abounded in this world. You see, there's two institutions that were established in the Garden of Eden. Does anyone know what they were? The Sabbath and what? Adam and Eve were married. And these two institutions are very, very important to God and especially to, to, this, to Christians. And these two institutions are specifically targeted for attack by Satan. Because these two institutions represent God in some way. The Sabbath represents his creation. Marriage represents the Godhead. How they're one. Husband and wife. The Godhead is father and son are one. And so he's been specifically focusing on the Sabbath and also on marriage. Satan has been successful in getting most of the world to forget about the Sabbath. And he's been very good at that. But also, Satan has been very successful, beloved, in today's society in destroying relationships and marriages more than ever before. There has never been a time in history where relationships and marriages have been so devastated as we live in today in the year 2008 in Hawaii. In Pune. We don't have to go far outside of the home. We can see it in our own families, our own homes, in our own relationships, in our own friends and neighborhoods that we live in, how Satan has been attacking it. And for those homes who have somehow beat the statistics of divorce and still are staying together, he still has been able to get in that home and bring wretchedness and despair in a majority of those homes who beat the statistics. My question this morning is this. Why is it that we as Seventh-day Adventists are so gung-ho, so excited about trying to tell everyone about the lost institution of the Sabbath day, which is good, by the way, beloved. Praise the Lord for that. But yet, why are we at the same time so quiet and mute on the point of restoring the other institution of the broken homes of the marriages? And the only answer is this. Could it be that we as Seventh-day Adventists today are also failing on this point also? Is my question this morning. Could it be that we're failing in the error of the home and thus we're unable to share the message of restoration for the home because we are struggling and failing in the very same area? For how can we share something that we do not have? How can we share about being homes, being lights of spirituality to the community when our own homes are full of spiritual darkness? How can we share about how to get along with our spouses if we ourselves cannot get along with our own spouses? How can we share about having godly children when our own children are lost in the world or who are in church but without spiritual fire and light within themselves? How can we share that our homes are to be filled with love and peace when we ourselves are living in homes that are filled with hurtful words 
and impatience. You see, Satan's primary strategic plan for miserable homes is to get men and women to make just one bad decision concerning their future husband or wife. All it takes is one I do that can determine whether your life could possibly be the most happiest or the most miserable for the rest of your life. Is that not true? All it takes is one tiny decision of two words, I do. Oh yes, will you marry me? Yes. That's all it takes. And the determining factor between whether you experience happiness or living hell or close to it. And so Satan's strategic plan of attack is for the home, the family, to break it up, the relationships. He wants to get in between. He wants to make life miserable for us, a living nightmare on this earth. So this morning as we study the biblical principles, in order to follow to have a happy marriage, as we continue on this series, series number 7 out of 12, may God grant us the humility and the submissive spirit so that we can make the right decisions. If you study the Word of God together, let us pray. Father, we do humbly ask for your Holy Spirit to teach us, and Lord, that you may speak to us through your Word. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 30 is the opening text. We're talking about King Ahab. Now, King Ahab was a king of God's remnant people, of God's church back then. He was a king, and he was a spiritual leader of God's remnant church. In other words, he was a spiritual leader within the church, of the Jewish church back then. And he did something. Find out in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 30, the Bible says, And Ahab, this is the king, the son of Omri, did what? What church? Did what? Evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. So he did evil in the sight of God, all that were before him. So he was the worst spiritual leader in the Jewish church that ever existed. Then it says in verse 31, And it came to pass, if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, that he took to wife, who? Jezebel, the daughter of Ephbaal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal, the false god Baal, and worshipped him. Not the true god, but the false god Baal. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Here was a spiritual leader within the Jewish church who provoked God more than any of the kings before him who did evil in the sight of God, who did wicked things in the sight of God. He was a leader of God's remnant people at that time. And he, what he did was he married a woman who were of another nation that worshipped Baal or false gods. In other words, this leader of the remnant people of God married a woman not of his faith and therefore he compromised his beliefs and his faith. He married someone that was not of his same belief system. Now what did King Ahab allow Jezebel to do? Turn to 1 Kings 18 verse 4. A few chapters down, verse 18. 
chapter 18, verse 4. The Bible says, For it was so, when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. So King Ahab married this woman, Jezebel, who took all the prophets of God and cut them off and killed every single one of God's prophets, all his priests, all the pastors. He killed them all. She killed them all. She wiped them all out. And the king, God's leader, allowed this to happen. He allowed it to happen. Even though Ahab did more evil in the sight of God than all the kings before him, his wife was more wicked than him and caused him to commit great evils. There are two principles that make for lasting marriage. And they are, number one, you need to marry the right person. Amen? And number two, you need to stay with the right person. Now, staying with the right person is always easier if you're confident that you have married the right person, right? You can always stay with the right person if, if you can know in your mind that I have married the right person. But if in your mind you always thought of, you're always thinking about it, I have not married the right person, it's always harder to stay with that person. So if you aren't married and you're in a relationship with someone who is bad news, don't stay with that person. Don't feel sorry for the person thinking that you can help this person out. If this person is abusive in whatever its way, or making life miserable for you, don't think that you're the one that's going to solve that person, all that person's problems that they ever had and that they do have. It will never work. You have to allow someone who is not romantically involved with that person to be able to minister to that person to help them out. Because you are involved romantically with that person, you are blinded and you cannot see what really needs to happen. It just doesn't work. You cannot be in a relationship with someone and think that you can help that person out at the same time. God has given to us easy and right principles for marriage. And if these principles are followed, it will guarantee success. But we must follow God's way and not our way. If you believe that, let me hear you say amen. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Let's look at another principle. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. The Bible says, the Bible says, be you not unequally yoked together with what? Unbelievers. So the Bible says, be ye not unequally yoked. Don't be joined together with unbelievers. In other words, don't join together with someone who does not have the same morals, the same um, religious convictions and belief systems that you have. It just doesn't work. And I'm talking especially to the young people. But it doesn't work when you join someone who is totally opposite of what you believe. Spiritually, it's talking about. Be, and also not only spiritually, but even in business deals. Do not connect with unbelievers. If you're a believer in Christ and you believe in his word and you're a Christian, don't connect with unbelievers in business deals or in marriage partnerships or any type of relationships. It just doesn't work. For what fellowship, it says in 14, what fellowship had righteousness 
with unrighteousness. And what communion has light with what? Darkness. And what concord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement has the temple of God with what? Idols, it says. For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be the God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, say the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked with people who are not the same belief system if they're not of your same moral background. Marry within the faith. God always leads and guides according to the principles given. And if that relationship is not following God's principles in His Word, then break it off, beloved. Marrying outside of the faith is an almost guarantee of present and future disaster. He might be cute, but if he's not converted, forget it. She might be fun to be with, but if she's not fully committed to Christ, forget it. He may be your type, but if he's not God's type, forget it. She might be educated, but if she's not educated in a school of Christ, forget it. I realize that most of my friends that I've grown with that have left God, left the church, it was be, either because they have dated or married a person who was unconverted. Whether outside or inside, it doesn't matter. They're unconverted. Look at these quotes right here. I just want to show you this quote here I thought is um, very inspiring about principles. It says here, Never should God's people venture upon forbidden ground. Marriage between believers and unbelievers is forbidden by God as we just studied in the Word of God in 2 Corinthians. But too often the unconverted heart follows its own desires and marriages unsanctioned by God are formed. Because of this, many men and women are without hope and without God in the world. Beloved, today, I don't know how you'd make it, but there is no way that you can make, make it in this world as a relationship without God in your life. It is impossible to have a good, healthy, strong happy, joyful, peaceful, without bickering and fighting and impatience, but a loving, good home without God in both spouses' life. Amen? Especially today, compared to even, not only 50 years, we're talking even 15 years ago, not even 15, but even in the last five years ago, compared to even five years ago, how it is out there, the world is so crazy out there, right? Is that not true? The world is so crazy out there, and everybody is in the world, so everyone out there is crazy, including us, especially without God. And we all need God in our lives, amen? We need God in our lives to change us, to transform us, to make us um, a character like Jesus Christ within his word. We all need the word of God to transform us, to make us new people, to make us servants of him, surrender to him. We all need Jesus Christ this morning. I need him this morning. How about you? Amen? Look at his next quotation. It says here, it says in the dark print, the second paragraph, it says, those who profess the truth trample 
on the will of God in marrying unbelievers. They lose his favor and make bitter work for repentance. The unbelieving may possess an excellent moral character. So even the unbelieving, they, they have a good moral character. But the fact that he or she has not answered to the claims of God and has neglected so great salvation is sufficient reason why such a union should not be consummated. Now I believe our God is a merciful God. Amen. He's a very merciful God. And I can tell you, I'm doing this series actually because I've made a lot of mistakes in the past in my relationships. And I wish that somebody told me what I'm telling you right now. And actually what, I wish somebody would told me what I'm sharing with you in, the next, in this whole 12 series. I wish that I'd done it the right way. I wish that I, had, I didn't have to go through all that suffering and pain. I wish I didn't have to go through all that. I wish that I'd done it right and I would have been where I'm at actually right now. And I praise God for that. And I praise God for following his principles. And to have a good marriage. I praise God for that. To have a good relationship. I do praise God for that. But I wish somebody would have told me this and not tell me, as we learn young people, we learn from, me, from peer, our fellow peers and our fellow friends. I wish that somebody would have told me that and I wouldn't have got all my information from off the street and learning from my friends how to have relationships. I wish you would have done it differently. I wish that those decisions to be yes, to be a boyfriend or, you know, or to be a girlfriend, that it would have been good decisions, not just based upon feelings and all oh, they, they look good or whatever it may be. And our God is a merciful God, isn't he? Amen? He's been so merciful to, to me. And God, out of his mercy, he doesn't, many times, he doesn't let us suffer for our own decisions because that's his mercy, right? Amen? I've, I've messed up many times, and many times, even though I went against the word of God, out of his mercy, I didn't pay the natural consequences of my decisions. And I praise God again for his double mercy on that. So let me tell you this. Yes, you may go against the word of God. And yes, he may still bless you. He blesses everyone, whether you're wicked or good, doesn't matter. But we're talking the extra consequences of sin and God's extra blessing. Yes, he may bless you. But how much better if we do, if we just follow God's word so that we can actually be happy? Not just a temporary happiness, but a true fulfilling happiness that lasts day after day after day that you're actually truly happy with your decisions. God's word asks us not to be unequally yoked. And there's a purpose for that. There's a reason to not be unequally yoked. But let's go to Genesis chapter 27, verse 46. Turn to Genesis chapter 27, verse 46. What was the result of Esau marrying outside of his fate? Exodus, I mean Genesis chapter 26, verse 34. The Bible says, 34 and 35, Genesis 26. The Bible says, and Esau was 40 years old when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Biri, the Hittite, and Bashimath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And these women were not of the faith, which were a grief of mine unto Isaac and to Rebekah, which was Esau's parents. 
Apparently that he took on these wives and they were, they were a grief to his parents. Have we been a grief to our in-laws, our parents? Esau married women that were another fate and this brought grief to both parents. Look at Genesis chapter 27, verse 46. What did Rebekah say concerning her other son, Jacob? They had two sons, Esau and Jacob. And notice what she, she said concerning her other son, Jacob. 20, chapter 27, verse 46, the Bible says, And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life, I'm tired of living because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob, my other son, he ta- if he takes up a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these which are the daughters of the land, what good shall life my life do to me. What good shall it be? It is not, life is not worth living at all if I marry this, if my, my son marries a person outside of the faith. You see, when Esau married outside of the faith, it broke Isaac's heart, Rebekah's heart, and God's heart. Look at Genesis chapter 28. Right before Jacob left, what was the last counsel given to him by Isaac? Genesis 28, verse 1 to 5. Isaac called Jacob, the other son, the son that didn't marry outside of the faith, and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Don't marry someone that's not of your faith. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethel, my mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the fathers of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. And God Almighty bless thee, and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may mayest be a multitude of people. And give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee and to your seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger which God gave unto Abraham. And Isaac sent away Jacob, and he went to Padana Ramon to Laban, son of Bethel of the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. The last words, they never saw Jacob again. He left the home. And chance to hap- it happened that the parents died, and Jacob never saw his father and mother ever again. And the last words that was going to be given to Jacob was, this is the, if you're going to give your final words to your son or your daughter that you're never going to see them ever again, you're actually going to die before you saw him, saw him ever again, what would you say? His final words was, whatever you do, do not marry outside of the faith. Do not go in that direction like your brother did. Why? Because an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Again, you can stay much easier with the right person if you have known that you have married the right person. Now, what makes a couple walk and be together? Turn to Amos chapter 3, verse 3. Amos is right before Matthew in the New Testament. Um, Amos, like a few books before. Amos chapter 3, verse 3. Amos chapter 3, verse 3. What makes a couple walk and be together? The Bible says, Can two walk together except they be what? Agreed. In other words, two people cannot really walk together in unity unless they agree with one another. Do you agree with that? Amen. (laughs) You cannot really walk together in a relationship unless you're walking together and you're agreeing. According to the Bible, the couple that will continue to walk together is a couple that has the same core moral beliefs in common rather than a couple that has no spiritual beliefs in common. Now, opposites are okay. It's okay to have opposites within the relationships. 
if it's based upon strengths and weaknesses, like say my strength is this and your weakness is, you know, I compliment your weaknesses. And then you compliment my weaknesses. That's your strengths. That's, that's good. It's positive and negative. That's really good, actually. That's very good. But we're talking about core moral beliefs system. It is important that you believe in the same core moral beliefs. Because if you don't, it's going to be the foundation for many, many fights and arguments within a home when you have a relationship. The question comes up, what school do I send them? Do I, I want to send them to a Christian school. Well, that costs too much money. It's not worth the sacrifice. I'm going to send them to a public school. Well, I'm definitely not going to have my child do this in a home. Well, that's how you were raised, but that's not how I was raised. It's going to be totally different. Well, I'm going to take my children to this church. Well, that's your church, but I was raised in a different type of church setting or synagogue. And so there's, there's going to be bound to be disagreements. There's bound to be arguments. There's bound to be fights within home without you realizing the differences. When a man and a woman are married, they become one flesh, the Bible says. But they become one flesh because they are united or in unity with one another in their beliefs. So in order for marriage to be truly one flesh, you must be totally in unity and harmony with one another. Now, when you're married, I believe that each person should keep their own personality. It's important. And our own individuality. That's important. They are not to be merged with our spouses. But our belief system concerning morals and ethics is important that we walk together with our spouses concerning these. Let's look at another text. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. What must happen before God will answer the prayers of a married couple? Okay, now you're married. That's why it's important. If you had different beliefs, it will not work. Marrying, if you're a Mormon and your wife is a Buddhist, there's going to be challenges. If you're a Jehovah Witness and your wife is believing in Muslim or atheism, there's going to be challenges. If you're a Christian and, and your wife is nothing or agnostic, there's going to be challenges within the home. There's going to be conflict. That's what the Bible says. Unless you agree, you cannot really walk together. You'd be walking, but you'd be walking up here and she may be walking way back there. Or they may be walking in front of you, walking way behind. You're not together. There's not unity and peace can come only through unity within a home. That's the only thing that way that peace can come in. Matthew 18, verse 19. What must happen for God or answer the prayers of a married couple? Look at verse 19. The Bible says, Jesus is saying, Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that shall be asked, it shall be done for them on my Father, which is in heaven. God or, Now, we're not talking about this regular prayers. You can go anywhere in the world by yourself, shoot up a prayer, and God will answer your prayer if it's according to his will immediately. But this is a special blessing that says this is conditional. In order for God to answer this and give a special extra blessing of favor upon you as a couple, what are the conditions of this text? What does it say? What must happen? They must what? Agree. What else? 
there must be at least two people. We're not talking about single prayers. We're talking about joint prayers. In other words, when two or more, in other words, in a home with a husband and wife or a family, we have family worship, and you pray together, you must be in unity. You must be agree before God will give a special extra blessing of answered prayer to you. You must be agreed together. Two or more. Let's think about this for a moment. What if I saw grandma? My grandma. She came back to see me, came back to life to see me, and started talking with me and giving me some good information about the Bible, started sharing with me about that. And then I, I got spooked. I'm knowing it was Satan. I go back to my room and I start praying and then I see my wife and she says, and I tell her all about it. And I say, you know, grandma came, but I know it's Satan. And of course, she does not agree with me. So we get on our knees, and while I'm praying, God, please, please send the evil spirit away, send that, um, the evil wickedness away. She doesn't believe it, and she actually believes his grandma. She's praying at the same time. She's praying, please help my husband to see the light and to accept the received light that grandma wants to give to him. So as my prayer is going up, and her prayers is going up, and it's going up, What happens to our prayers? They're not agreeing. And the question is, who, who does God answer? Does it answer my wife or does it answer me? Does it answer the ones who's more spiritual than the other person? Why well, I'm more spiritual than my wife, therefore God's going to answer my prayers rather than her prayers. Whose prayer does God answer? If the both prayers got in order for the extra special blessing of God, both prayers have to agree. They cannot be different. What about another example? What if you're facing a work conflict and your wife and your, and your husband is praying for you and you wanna, you're praying for the Sabbath off. You want to come to church and worship God with, this, with the other believers and experience the blessing. So you're praying and praying. And then you ask your husband, please pray for me. And as you're praying the same prayer and you say, Lord, please work a miracle that the boss will see the light and that they'll give me the day off. And at the same time, your husband's praying, oh, please, Lord, help my wife to see that we need the money and that they have to go to work. What happens to the prayers? Are the prayers being agreed upon, beloved? They're not. And the Bible says it's conditional. The prayers have to agree. It cannot be separate. You must be totally believers, and God cannot give His extra special blessing unless your prayer partner, the two of you who've been married for life, who become one flesh, the two must agree. It is very important that they agree. And that's the power of coming together. Especially if you're single in your home, if you're the only spiritual person in your household, it is very important that you come together and to worship with other believers. It is very important. You know, God is merciful in spite of us. I remember a time where I used to always go to Las Vegas, and I used to take, I used to like to go gambling a lot, all the time, Lake Tahoe, Reno. I always used to go there. And I also like to pick the best odds. Blackjack. <laughs> we study, we practice, we memorize cards. And so, to me, that was the best odds. It was the best odds, if you really know what you're doing. But it was foolish to go to these other tables, 
That I felt were bad odds. You look at the percentage odds of losing. And I think to myself, what a foolish risk it would be to take God's word and take a gamble upon it. And you think, well, if I married outside of the faith, I married a non-believer, I married someone outside of our church, if I married someone there, yeah, um, I could convert them later on. But beloved, the odds are against you. More than 95% of you. And yes, God of his mercy, he still blesses our disobedience, amen? He still blesses us. Out of his mercy. And I've done things that were wrong, evil, that God still blessed me in spite of what I did. So I'm not taking away from it. But what a gamble to take a risk against going against and going against God and marrying someone outside of the faith. What a gamble. Now, God is merciful and he wants us to be happy. And therefore, there's a certain way that God wants us to be married. Luke chapter 17. Turn to Luke chapter 17, verse 27. Luke chapter 17, verse 27. What is the proper procedure that must happen before marriage may happen? The Bible says in verse 27, Jesus is talking here. He said, they did eat, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and a flood came. I'm sorry. 17 verse 27, yeah, and destroy them all. So they were, they, were, they were marrying wives and they were given in marriage. In other words, as a man, they married wives. As women, they were given away in marriage. And we do the same thing. When a woman is walked down the aisle, they say, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And then the parents say together, what? We do, Right? So the same way they're giving away in marriage. It is important that when you plan to get married that you seek the wisdom of those who are older, wiser, and more spiritual. And also that you respect the parents of the woman who you want to marry. You see, when you're in love, it's very hard to see through the glasses of passion and love. It's a funny thing, I've always seen this. In counseling people and relationships and marriages, they, a lot of people, almost 100%, 99%, 99% of the people, once they're in love and they're already full steam into a relationship, it doesn't matter what advice you give to them, they're not going to listen to you. Believe me, I know already. So I just kind of touch here and there and touch in there and say, okay, good, that's good, go ahead and um, go on what you're going to do no matter what I say. Just keep on going in your direction. And so I just kind of encourage them in a nice way and trying to give a little hints here and there. But pretty much once they're blinded, blinded, most people, there are very few people that will follow the word of God. And that's why it's important that you have people in your life, spiritual guides or even spiritual leaders or even parents that you can ask for counsel and about your relationship. Is this guy good for me? Is this girl good for me? Is it going to be a good marriage? Will we make it? What do you think? And that's what you should ask each other. Let's look at some examples from the Bible of a principle. Turn to Genesis chapter 24, verse 49. Genesis chapter 24, verse 49. What did Eleazar do before Isaac married Rebekah? Genesis chapter 24, verse 49. Abraham sent his most trusted servant, Eleazar, to find a wife, for Isaac. And notice what happens. What did he do, say to Rebecca's parents? 
49-51, the Bible says, And now, if you would deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing proceeded from the Lord. We cannot speak unto thee bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before thee. Take her and go, and let her be thy master's son's wife, as the Lord had spoken. So they asked him, What should I do? And he has asked him, what is, they asked him, can I marry, can, can Isaac marry your daughter? He asked permission first. Is it okay with you as a parent? Is it okay that I marry your daughter to get permission? And they gave their permission. In other words, they gave her away in marriage. Look at chapter 29, verse 18 and 21 chapter of Genesis. Chapter 29, verse 18 and 21. What did Jacob do before he married Rachel? Genesis 29, verse 18 and 21. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. He's talking to Rachel's dad. Notice that he's talking to Rachel's dad. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and he seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go in unto her. Jacob loved Rachel. He loved her. And he asked her, is it okay? He asked the parents, is it okay if I marry your daughter? He didn't, and, the, and the dad said, well, you have to work me for seven years. Prove yourself to be a man, that you have money. Prove yourself first, that you have a strong character, that you can take care of a home, you can take care of the family. Prove yourself. So he asked permission first, and then he got the permission. And then... He married. He didn't just go away and elope with her to marry her. He got the permission of someone, a spiritual advisor first before. Look at this quotation here on the bottom. It says here, of the, yellow, of the pink paper. A young man who enjoys the society and wins the friendship of a young lady unbeknown to her parents does not act a noble Christian part toward her or toward her parents. And on the back it says, Thou shalt not steal was written by the finger of God upon the tables of stone. The last paragraph. Yet how much underhand stealing of affections is practiced and excused. A deceptive courtship is maintained. Private communications are kept up until the affections of one who is inexperienced and knows not whereunto these things may grow are in a measure withdrawn from her parents and placed upon him who shows it by the very course he pursues that he is unworthy of her love. The Bible condemns every species of dishonesty and demands right doing under all circumstances. You see, when you have a child, the natural connection in a family is that your affections are toward your child. And there's a bond there. And in order to release it, you must get the permission. You must get permission to release it to whoever may be asking it. So men, don't marry a woman until you get permission from the parents. Women, don't marry a man until he gets the permission from your parents. And parents, don't allow your daughter to get married to a man if he hasn't asked your permission first. Amen? Amen. When I met my wife, we were um, seeing each other. And I asked her to marry me, and we were ready. And I, and I knew I had to ask the parents. Now her parents, her dad, you have to know the background now. 
the dad was saying before, he was saying that don't go to those Christians over there. This is going to brainwash you. <laughs> the Christian is going to brainwash you because he's Buddhist. So he's saying, don't go to the Christians because they're going to brainwash you. So already there's something up there. But I know I have to, as a Christian, I have to walk my talk. I have to follow the principles that the Bible is saying here. So I knew, come on, the easy way out is don't ask the parents, right? Anybody can do that. We all do that. But to be a Christian, you have to go and do something that not everyone has the courage and boldness to do, right? And so as a Christian, okay, I have to do this. I was more afraid to ask her dad than I was to ask her. <laughs> I was more scared to ask her dad than I was to even ask her to marry me. And so there I was trying to talk story with him at his house, walking in the garden for two hours, <laughs> trying to get to the point, but I couldn't. So I'm walking around trying to think, how am I going to talk and how am I going to ask? How am I going to ask him? How am I going to do this? Finally, we sit down, we're talking, and I look him in the eye, and I said, I would like to ask if it's okay if I marry your daughter. He goes, just do whatever you want. It's up to you. <laughs> I said, I said, no, no. I looked at him and I straight in the eye and said to him, no, out of respect for you, I will ask permission from you to marry your daughter. He looked me in the eye. Amazing. He looked me in the eye, and his eyes were welling up with tears, beloved. And he said, that's a very respectable and honorable thing to do. And that very act that I did transformed our relationship. That relationship is very good now, very strong. Mutual respect. If anyone's where I could have win my father-in-law heart who said we're brainwashing people, he has uttermost respect for me at this very time. If we respect people, if we honor them, respect the parents of the person you're going to be married, if you take that risk, they go, wow, this person is willing to come up to me. He's willing to do what no man has done before. He's willing to do what no one does anymore. No one even thinks about even doing. I respect that man. I respect him for what he does. If we honor and respect people, that they will honor and respect you too also. Right? Amen? Give them love. Love awakens love. If you love people, they will love you back. You, but you got to initiate it first, not wait for them. If you honor people, they're going to honor you back. You give respect to people, they're going to respect you back. But you got to start first. As a Christian, the whole gospel is initiation. You got to initiate as a Christian. It depends upon you. You don't wait while, you know, I always go to, go to the parties and everyone's thinking, acting cool in a corner. And, oh, yeah, so-and-so came, but they're going to come to me and say hi to me first. But the Bible says, he who has friends must what? Show himself friendly. In other words, you, he who has friends, you got to show the initiation first. You go out there and you say hi first. You initiate first. You be friendly first. And as you're friendly first, they're going to respond and you're going to build friendships that way. So I have covenant challenges to you on the back of this pink paper. If you can look at the back of the pink paper here. Um, you can look down at it. It says, covenant challenge based upon God's promises to us. The Number one is, the five challenges I like to look at. You. Number one, it says, covenant... That you will submit and surrender your life to the love of God so that you may have a successful 
marriage. If you believe that, let me hear you say amen. 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 Number two, covenant. That you only marry a person that is of the same faith as you. Amen? Number three, covenant men. That when you're ready to get married, you ask the permission of your girlfriend's parents before you ask for your girlfriend's hand in marriage. Amen? Amen. Four, covenant women. That you only marry the man who is respectful enough to ask for your parents' permission in order to marry you. Amen? Five, covenant parents that you teach your children to request your approval before they get married. Amen? See, I mean, out there in the world, they can, do, they can do whatever they want. But within the Christian church and God, He wants you to do it a special way. We need to be sure that we marry the one who is the right person. If we marry the right person, we will stay with the right person. So may we be like Abraham and Sarah and marry within the faith. May we be like Isaac and Rebecca and put God at the helm. May we be like Jacob and Rachel and marry only the person who is fully committed to Christ. And beloved, even though you're in the church, you can still marry a person who's not fully committed to Christ. May we put God first, last, and best in our decisions. And may we marry only those who have tasted the converting power of God in their life and experienced the love of Christ in the heart. This morning, may the Lord find us faithful. May His love be our banner held high.